Last week, I just so happened to be in Greeley, Colorado, and I happened to have the hookup at Weldworks. A friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend knows the head brewer, which I found out during this interview is not an uncommon thing. Neil, the brewer at Weldworks, is a super popular guy. Unfortunately, the day that I was around, Neil was sick. But thankfully, I got to meet up with Kristen, the head of operations, and Nick, another one of the brewers at Weldworks. And they give me the lowdown on Weldworks over 30 taps, more than 100 beers brewed this year, including some amazing hazy IPAs and barrel-aged beers. I'm the Cycling Certified Cicerone, and this is Washington Beer Talk. Uh, yeah, I'm Kristen, uh, Director of Operations. I was our first employee here. Um, actually, since like negative four months before we opened, <laughs> uh, which was pretty awesome. So, How'd you wind up? Um, okay, so let's see. So four months before the brewery opened. I, I think you guys are how old? About four years or so? Just coming up. Uh, four, yeah, it'll be four in February. Okay. And, um, and so how, how'd you wind up being the first employee? Uh, totally by chance, as it so often goes. Um, I knew one of the owner's wives from a previous job, and it was just kind of that fortuitous timing of, hey, husbands open up a brewery, and they realized they probably could use a hand at some point. Yeah. And I was like, hey, perfect. I'm not doing anything right now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was cool. Um, I joined up with them in October, and this building didn't even have walls back then. It was literally just like a hollow shell. Uh, so I got to see literally everything being built up from the ground up. We had this awesome crew, um, Nick included, of about probably 20 guys that used to homebrew with Neil and just know people in the community. And every Saturday we'd come out. We did most of the demo and build out ourselves. Uh, one of the owners, Colin, worked as our uh, general contractor. And, yeah, it was incredibly hands-on. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty substantial brewery, so I bet it took a lot of work. It did. <laughs> Who are you? I am Nick. I am employee number two. Uh, original brewer, barrel something or the other. <laughs> I run the barrel program and do a lot of other things. Sweet. So you mentioned this group of 20 home brewers that sort of started the brewery. Um, and you're the like official, one of the official brewers, a paid yeah. brewer. I don't know that any of the uh, home brewer originals would maybe get paid for, for, that, for so what they're I'm, doing. I'm the, yeah, I'm the only one that was part of the homebrew club that actually brews here. Everybody else has other things to do. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They, they were all you know, just friends and supporters. Some brewed more seriously than others. One's actually gone on to open up his own brewery uh, oh, which down is the street. That? Green Earth. Green Earth. Yeah. So, you know, just, just a lot of, it's a super tight-knit community in Greeley. So just a lot of great people that, you know, know Neil and Colin. Yeah. and Neil and Colin know everybody. They know everybody. <laughs> I was going to say, I've even heard of Neil. I'm here with her, uh, his old neighbor, Kelly, uh, <laughs> who just, when I was coming to town, turns out my girlfriend knows her who knows neil and that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um this brewery is huge it's a really really big brewery is that like a, a, in seattle where i'm from there the breweries are smaller if you start a brewery and it's only four years old it's not it doesn't have all the fancy equipment doesn't have the huge warehouse doesn't have stacks and stacks of barrels like this they're little you know, they're, they're one barrel systems or, you know, up to 10. And I am noticing your brewery is substantially larger than that. So how did, um, how did that kind of start off? So I did, was this always the goal? Did this brewery change a lot from the time you were hired or? 
it's changed. <laughs> it's, it's changed a lot. So when we started, we were a 15-barrel brew house. We had four fermenters and two bright tanks, and that was going to be enough for like two or three years. That was yeah. the plan. All 15-barrel. All 15-barrel batches and like one 30-barrel or 20-barrel batch of our half. Mm-hmm. And um, then Juicy Bits happened. <laughs> And then our barrel aged stout was released at the same time, and everybody went, "Oh, these are really good," and it kind of changed the trajectory of everything. Yeah, we're—I uh, mean, it's one of the most amazing things about being in Greeley. Everyone was always the question we got for years and years and years was always just, "Why Greeley?" Mm-hmm. And aside from the very obvious of this is our home and we love it <laughs> and we want to make it cool, is I mean, you can't get the space like this that we have, uh, you know, even in Fort Collins. Um, Rent is cheap in Greeley. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this used to be an old car dealership that was built, like, 70, 80 years ago, so it was just the perfect shell for what we needed. Um, gave us a lot of room to grow, which we did a lot more quickly than we anticipated. I imagine that's the case for a, for a lot of breweries, especially, I mean, I mean if, you get, if you get lucky and you have the space, and what's the scene like around here? It's growing. It started, I mean, the original craft brewery in Greeley was Crabtree and they're coming up on 12 years I mm-hmm. think and they're still alive and kicking um, and then we've added our neighbors Wiley Roots which are those guys are awesome and their beer is great and uh, then we've got Bricks and us and Green Earth, Green Earth and, and Broken Plow Broken Plow and Rocky Mountain Tap House yeah. mm-hmm. and I think there might be one more in planning mm-hmm so it's a good number of breweries for a small little town. Yeah, I mean we're 120,000 people and working on having up to seven breweries. So nothing like Fort Collins, but yeah. Well, yeah, Fort Collins is a is a you know is pretty famous. So what does that feel like being so close to them and not? Or do you feel like you're ever in a shadow or what? No, nope. no, they all come here. Yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so. it is actually incredibly awesome um, that people do drive here from. Denver, Colorado Springs, out of state. On any given day in our tap room, about half of it's filled with people from. Not Greeley. Not Greeley. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, our locals are awesome supporters too. But yeah, it is just kind of great. Fort Collins isn't a bad jaunt at all. So people will come up and it's, hey, we're going to hit Fort Collins and Greeley now. So we're just kind of an extension of the northern Colorado scene. Let's talk a little bit about the the beers y'all brew here. So we're sitting in the in the in the barrel house, and there's a lot of one beer. of two, one of two. So this is only <laughs> what is this the majority of them or this is probably eighty percent of the clean barrels. Okay, I noticed you have about a billion beers on tap. <laughs> What's up with that? <laughs> so we were ambitious last year, and by we I mean Neil and Colin and. Uh, Mr. Jake Goodman, our director of marketing, and they decided we should make 100 new beers for 2018. And uh, the production staff, myself included, looked at them and said, why? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we did it. Uh, We're actually, I think, at about 120 right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just shy of. We'll hit hit 130, 130 plus brand new beers that we've never brewed before, before the end of the year. And so we had to add more taps because when you have a hundred new beers plus coming out, you need a lot of taps because you don't kick beers as fast as you would. <laughs> so with, so yeah, that's why we have 32 beers on tap. Mm-hmm. What was the idea behind the hundred different beers and has that been successful? I mean, you've successfully brewed them, but uh, 
and in terms of business decisions, I mean, what the hell were y'all thinking? <laughs> well, it actually kind of evolved. Um, last year, we were brewing with a contract brewery down in Denver, uh, Sleeping Giant. Um, and we were just doing a very small number of our SKUs and Sleeping Giant was awesome to work with, but we quickly realized that that's not what our consumers want from us. Um, the continually evolving styles and beers that we were putting out is really what was driving people, um, you know, attracting them. So by having the same stagnant lineup, the beer was moving slower and we just kind of realized it wasn't us. Um, we kind of thrive on innovation and we love experimentation yeah. and we were really limiting ourselves so we kind of said let's go to the polar opposite and let's brew a hundred beers <laughs> i think it more became of a, what can we get away with and what can we make work and do something that nobody else has ever done uh-huh. yeah i mean a lot of the beers you look at them they're fairly similar in style like, i mean yeah. i'd say shoot probably 50 percent are new england style ipas yeah 50 to 60 percent are an ipa or double ipa of some mm-hmm. sort that we just you know tweak some of the ingredients tweak the water profile add a different hops yeah, yeah. so but i mean it's it's fun and we learn from every single beer even if it is similar in style um it, we're continuously learning and all of our staff's been able to contribute recipes, so we've had a lot of really fantastic beers coming out of the creativity from the team, which has been really fun too. So, just gave us a lot of freedom, and yep. we're definitely not doing it next year. Yeah, <laughs> but it it was good. It was a really cool year of learning for us. I was going to ask about those recipes. So, if you've got if you're brewing all these different beers, and you said the staff contributes recipes, is that how you get the majority of your recipes and your ideas? Um, no, most of the recipes, um, well, we're fortunate right now we're doing a lot of collabs, so mm. that helps. Um, most of the recipes come from Neil or Arnie or myself, mm-hmm. and then uh, there's a lot of input from a lot of the production staff. If there's an idea, the policy is share it. You know, let a, you know, tell somebody. Come up with a recipe. That's usually the, the process. If you go, Neil, I have an idea for a beer, he'll make the recipe. And then it'll be tweaked to our system and everything, but mm-hmm. so there's a lot of freedom to create. What did you, did you do anything before being a brewer here? Were you a brewer elsewhere or uh, just a home brewer? Um, yes, both. Uh, I started off home brewing and then I decided, ooh, this is what I want to do for my living after batch one. And my wife was very supportive. I went back to school and I uh, got my degree in chemistry and laboratory brewing science at UNC here in Greeley. And um, I worked at Crabtree, the original Greeley uh, brewery, and then I worked at New Belgium. And then uh, sat down on opening weekend with Neil and was like, hey, what about me working here? And <laughs> I worked here for free for uh, a good four or five months. Intern. Intern. Yeah, sure, worked for free. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I was hired on with, with pay. So. So you worked in New Belgium before this. I did. What are, what are some of the big differences between that place and here? Size. Size is the <laughs> biggest one. I mean, uh, it took me a month to learn the cellar at New Belgium mm-hmm. of just walking around and asking people, like, I'm literally lost. I don't know where I am. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, size is the biggest one. And then kind of who we're brewing to. New Belgium is very much brewing to the mass market. Mm-hmm. So it's... Beer for the general public. Right. Nothing's crazy. You know, they have their programs that they can get crazy with, like the fooder farms and everything, but it's for the masses. And here we're able to just 
let's make an eggnog barley wine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, so we, we, we don't have to appease everybody. Mm-hmm. We can get away with things. And they can be bad or they can be amazing. Right. So they brew, since they're brewing for everyone, brewing mass market, they really only have a couple of brands. You know, they've got a handful yeah. of like popular beers that get, you know, get, get out there. <laughs> Is maybe your past brewing in this place that only brews a few different beers, like half the region, you can't like it here, where you get to brew 100 beers in a year? Um, yeah, I'm a creative person. I, I don't like doing the same thing day in, day out, day in, day out. So yeah. having the, the freedom to do that and get weird. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it makes things more exciting and fun. Mm. So, how did you get suckered into this? So, you said it kind of <laughs> happened a little bit. Were you in the beer world before then, before this, or what? Uh, no, actually, um, I just kind of was still in my mid twenties, moving from state to state. Uh, I was an art major, creating jewelry at the time when I joined up with these guys. But uh, the cool thing is, is that you know the two owners and myself starting off, none of us have background in this industry at all so it was everything was brand new from the start we've been learning everything still are together as we go we keep compiling more and more amazing people that add extra experience and knowledge to the crew um but yeah it's which is kind of cool because you know if you don't have any um set theories of this is how this is done then you yeah create something brand new yeah, whatever it is, it sounds like you, uh, kind of looks like you stumbled on the secret sauce. You, know? <laughs> you just have a couple of people who are like, huh, well, I don't really know how to run this business, but let's just <laughs> let's do it. Let's give a shot. <laughs> uh, so you're the, as like the director of operations, you're coming in here with an art degree and it doesn't sound like any real background in how to do this kind of thing. <laughs> you really did just like, oh, I guess I'm running a business now. Like, what is that like? Everything has been so organic, like from our operations side, our production side, just our growth in general. Um, you don't really like go from point A to point B in a flash. Um, you know, I'd start off working the tap room at the very start, you know, Colin and I would help Neil brew. I mostly clean floors, but you know, (laughs) and Neil and I would help Colin schlep our little cooler around trying to get people to buy our beer and Colin and Neil would work in the tap room. So, you know, it was all hands on deck. And then we started, you know getting some employees after about seven, eight months. And then, you know, now I'm managing a tap room. Like, all right, it's still pretty small and manageable. And then it's a little bit bigger. And now, you know, it's just, you kind of get more responsibilities as more responsibilities are needed to be covered and continue to delegate. Now we got a staff of 28. Yeah. Which is awesome. I w- yeah, I was just out in a tap room looking and it, you know, it's a Monday afternoon and it, it is, it is Monday, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a Monday afternoon and it, it, there, yeah, there were, Six people running around behind a bar over there for yeah. a second, like just a lot of people running around here today, and I, I was impressed. I guess <laughs> that's probably the right word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, There's always a lot going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's crazy. I mean, yeah, if you're brewing all that beer, you got to do what you got to do. Um, did so? Okay, you are you mentioned how the brewery was smaller. You know, how you're, you had your six tanks and then your one 15 barrels. It's still 15 barrel over there. Yeah, we're still running a 15 barrel brew house. Okay. I'm just like looking through the window. It's a really sophisticated system, right? It's got all the it's got all the autom- automation and stuff. It's like a, it's a neat looking neat looking it's, deal. We credit to do our credit is due to uh, Neil and Colin for forward thinking on that. A lot of breweries start, you know, with dairy tanks or whatever they can scrape by with, and they were like, "If we're going to do this, let's do it right. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're set for a while." 
because upsizing a brew house is giant pain in the butt. I mean, you're talking downtime, which you're losing production. You're talking a significant cost, and you have to offload the old brew house. So this has allowed us to really expand and grow a lot. So, Have you reached capacity in that brew house yet? I haven't taken a lot. I've sort of only glanced through the window. I don't know um, if there's more space for fermenters. There is more space that's actually being worked on right now, so it won't be ready quite yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the current cellar, yeah, we're pretty much, it's a tight squeeze. Yeah. So speaking of like kind of getting getting that brewery started, because you know if you, if you can start with such a huge brewery, you don't have, well, okay, let's see. So you're 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 worried about diving full on, you know, head face first into this huge brewery. What like you're talking about building a bigger brewery, knowing you can expand it, but like if you don't know necessarily what you're getting into, you're just a bunch of home brewers thinking about this. Like it's got to be pretty overwhelming to try to buy like a big like a big system like that. I guess what I really want to know is, where'd you get the money for it? Uh, we have a investors. small handful yep. of investors, yeah. yeah, who are all um, pretty close knit to the mm. to calling it Neil. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, honestly, we opened up with a very, very small budget. It yeah. was very pretty, small. Very small. It was pretty much all the brew system and equipment, and then you know, in terms of the lease here and the build out and blah blah blah. You know, having done a lot of the work ourselves. It, Saved yeah. a lot of money. It did. Yeah. It took a lot of time, but it saved a lot of money. I mean, literally the day that we opened, like, <laughs> Colin's running in with our certificate of occupancy, and, like, we've got, you know, our, our crew of guys, like, our friends literally still, like, putting legs on tables and building chairs in the parking lot, and it's like, well, all right, let's open. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, you know, but, it, yeah, and again, one of the benefits of being in Greeley, too, you know was obviously a very huge investment, but a lot of it. And also downtown Greeley was not what it is right now when we opened. Right. It's definitely coming along. So I think they were happy we were in the building. So our landlords, well, former landlords. Former, yeah. (laughs) That's right. I heard you own, so you own the building now. We own the whole block. As of about a week. Yeah. Yeah. But they were very willing to work with us and we're like, yeah, you know, take it a step at a time. So mm-hmm. it definitely saved our butts. Mm-hmm. What are you, you going to do with the rest of the block? So it's just shy of a city <clears throat> block, actually. It consists of two other buildings on our property. Um, a big portion of it was taking over this entire building. Um, we'd taken over all the other lease spaces this past year, so we were operating in all of it. Um, but now it's easier to pull the trigger on making those improve, very mm. necessary improvements. <laughs> um, there's a building behind us as well um, that uh, there's a tenant in, but part of it's open, so we'll be able to expand our cold storage eventually and just. Right now we're in desperate storage. need of dry storage, so a lot yeah. of. As we work on the new cellar, things have to move 14 times, so to have a space to store those move them around yeah and then the other building is a school which will stay yes okay a school moved in after we were here <laughs> huh um yeah they're like two years into yep. a like seven year lease i think it's a school of innovation yeah they're Just... a stem mm-hmm. school so that's kind of funny. Yeah. So they. So now you're their landlords. Yes. And so they might be the only brewery that owns a school. Yes. That is so funny. Uh, yeah, they're great neighbors. They're super cool. We threw the kids a pizza party last yeah. week, and they put up with our 
lines. Our li- yeah, some parking. releases that's, you know, 700 people in line, 6 a.m. bottle shares or whatever craziness about, is happening. I heard about y'all's insane bottle bottle releases with lines going around the building. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> it's uh, it's entertaining. Yes. I imagine those kids over in the school, though, are happy to have some good smells coming down that way. You yes. Know? Not, yeah. Not to burn your, your town or anything, but it smells like cow. It, yes, yeah. it does. It's, you know, we brew beer five days a week and to you know combat the smell. Yeah. That was one of the things I noticed when I walked into the building. Was that it? It smelled fresh. It smelled like beer. It was like really. It's refre- It's a. It's a great smell to smell. It doesn't doesn't hurt that we're brewing a barrel aged stout today. So there you yeah. go. Nice and chocolatey. That's the good stuff. Tell me about the name Weldworks. So I'm I'm seeing some like great welding out there so nope. who's the welder it has nothing to do with weld works <laughs> we're in weld county colorado uh-huh. so that's where the weld comes from and then works is just german for factory so all right the weld factory of beer yeah and you know uh kind of wanted the name to be a little nod to the community to you know it's a lot of like oil and gas and um, so yeah, our, our atmosphere and our aesthetic does kind of reflect like just the mentality of this industrial. is well it's very County industrial. And, yeah. yeah. We, we build things, you know? Um, so yeah, that just kind of aesthetically aligned with the name as well. <laughs> yeah, everybody, whenever we get deliveries, it's fun. We're like, I thought this was a welding shop. So, yeah. 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 It's yeah. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> what about the logo? It looks like, um, what is that? A barrel? Turn train. So it is a steam barrel. It's a flying steam barrel. Yeah. Okay. What's a steam barrel? Turn of the century (laughs) compartment for steam. That makes sense. They would, a lot of the steam engines way back when, would literally use a barrel because it was cheap and available to hold the steam. And And this one exploded. And we do barrel aged beers. So (laughs) kind of just hand in hand. A a barrel aged program was a big part of the business plan from day one just because it's. it's a passion of it, Neil's. Yeah, it's I mean, a passion that's what he was known a, for as a strong home talent. Yeah, Neil's just got a, you know, got away with barrels. <laughs> hmm. Thankfully, Nick does too. And yeah, so it always has been and always will be a big part of, uh, you know, what we do. So that's definitely part of the identity of the brewery. Oh, definitely. Barrel aged. So I'm not drinking. I haven't had a barrel aged beer yet. We'll get you one. So we, I better we, get we, one. We, we can remedy <laughs> that. <laughs> um, what are some of the hardships about brewing on brewing for barrels? Um, I think the biggest thing that uh, has set us apart with Brewing for Barrels and that we have that helped set us apart with the barrel-aged beer, because everybody makes one now, mm-hmm. is we have a recipe that's just for barrels. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are like, ooh, this is a really good style. Let's throw it in barrels. Well, we, we Neil, designed Made in Ocha, that's our big barrel-aged stout, for barrels. It will never see the light of day not barrel-aged. It does not taste good until it's been in the barrels for at least a year. I mean, it tastes good, about nine months, but it was designed for barrels. It's designed for long-term aging. It's designed just to hold up to what barrels go through over 12, 18, 24 months. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's definitely been a tweak and it's been a three-year tweak on how to efficiently brew barrel-aged beers. We don't do it like a lot of people. We boil for 36 hours. Mm -hmm. So it's... You know, in the in the old days, it was Neil and I spending the night, getting here at five a.m. day one and leaving about one or two p.m. day two. So you boil for thirty six hours, which uh, I know a little bit about brewing. 
That's pretty long. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of our other beers are 90 minutes. Okay. So um, we're looking for a reduction in the water. So we're looking mm. for a higher gravity. We brew a lot higher gravity. Um, for the brewers out there, we brew 235, 240 Play-Doh, or what is that in OG, like 1160. Wow. So, I mean, it's it's a beast. It's Hershey syrup. Yeah. Jeez. And, yeah. And we're looking for a lot of the Maillard reactions. We're mm. looking for that caramelization, that uh, just beautiful chocolate and caramel flavor just right. by boiling that long. and That's crazy. Gives us the mouthfeel we want. And... Um. That's so funny because, you know, you, you read about how you can boil for longer to kind of get that caramely, yeah, the, the Maillard stuff, but you, but n I've never seen a recipe that really cares about it that much. It usually is sort of a byproduct. Yeah, your beer will get a little darker if you do this. Or technically, the color will shift one little bit or you'll get this little sure, flavor yeah. secretly show up after an hour, but like, but 36 hours is a total game changer. That's completely different. That's insane. Yep. That's pure insanity to me. So, um... How'd you do that, right? When you're brewing beer, when you're trying to work on recipes and stuff, you, the last variable you consider tweaking is a 36 hour uh, boil time. It's like, is that all Neil? Like, what the heck? I think that was a combination. I mean, when we first did it, we did three separate batches, mm -hmm. which took forever. And each one was a 12 hour boil. Mm -hmm. And then we've progressed where we're doing three mashes, no sparging, so no rinse water. And it's all going in on top of each other. And we're you know, it's boiling continuously as we're doing other uh, mashes in on top of it. And it's just, it's ever evolving to get the most efficient we can by being the least efficient. Mm -hmm. Right. Because <laughs> a 36 hour boil is not an efficient time. No. For... That's, that's a lot of energy cost too, right? Like you Yeah, look we're, at it... we're boiling. I mean, we're fortunate we're steam. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit more energy efficient than say like a direct fire or electric. Mm -hmm. We couldn't do it honestly with a direct fire or electric. It, it kind of also developed from using a steam jacket. Mm -hmm. uh, we could probably get the same results with like a nine or 10 hour boil if we were doing direct fire, mm -hmm. but direct fire on a 15 barrel is a lot. Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe to give you some of the technical details on a, a steam, steam boiler as opposed to the other types. Um, I'm not super familiar with it actually. So how's it work? So direct fire, you just have fire underneath. It's like a stove and you got a big pot. And electric, you have electric elements that are sticking into it, usually at different levels, and that, you know, you get heat throughout, and that's pro mm -hmm. providing your boil with steam. You actually have a boiler that's producing your steam at high PSI, high temperature, and it's pushing it through pipes, and then there's jackets, like on a fermenter, mm -hmm. but on our kettles, and it's pushing through that 250-degree steam through these jackets, causing the beer to boil. Okay. So we have jackets on the bottom and jackets on the side. And so it allows us to get an even, consistent boil. That's got to be a fun new piece of equipment for people who are trying to learn how to open a... People building a giant brewery for, with very little know-how. I, I like that it, you actually have a steam boiler for your logo that fits. I remember uh, I used to work at a chemical plant as an, as an intern a while ago, and they it's hard to manage steam because steam <laughs> is pretty invisible when it's actually hot and really as steam. They would say like you could see that there was a steam leak if the pressure suddenly dipped one of the sensors yep. would go off and say there's a pressure dip so there must be a steam leak somewhere steam leak and the only way to go find it is to walk through the corridors with a broom out in front of you and the moment the broom explodes you found the steam leak because this high pressure steam is just obliterating <laughs> anything in front well we're fortunate we're not dealing with steam in that high pressure ours is only <laughs> about 15 psi max so um 
We haven't had any steam leaks yet. I knock on wood. Yeah. But I'm pretty far from Go a barrel. Find a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it definitely. I mean, it, it adds an element. Um, it also adds some stress for the production team. You know, with a boiler and the finickiness of a boiler. Sometimes you come in and oh, it's been off for 12 hours. It shouldn't have been off at all. So now you're two hours behind on your day. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so how does that work? So you, you have to keep your boiler running all the time in order to keep um, steam ready to go? You're talking about being more more efficient energy That's wise. actually the most efficient way is uh, a boiler supposed to run continuously, hmm. at least the boiler we're using. So, but I don't know if our boiler was exactly designed for brewing. Hmm. Um, I don't remember, honestly. That, w- that would be a Neil question, but he's not here. <laughs> yeah, I heard he's out sick today. He is out sick today. Is, yep. It's that time of year, so. Yes, it is. But uh, yeah, it, nine times out of ten, it's great. Okay, it's that that tenth time that's <laughs> frustrating for all of us. Mm-hmm. I was just looking at my cup at the beer that I was drinking, and I see you have this sub logo here, fine-tuned beer. That seems to be now a a, a musical theme added to this. I see some dials. You're really doing some like logo design by committee, huh? If you got all this extra stuff, or is this a particular beer that's maybe a Something. No, that's kind of our sub motto. Yeah, um, we worked with uh, when we first opened. You know, we were throwing random paint on walls and making, you know, decisions on the fly. Like we didn't really stop and have a chance to cultivate our identity, or did do we even know what it is or what we want to be? You know, and over the first couple of years, it kind of just started to form itself and we realized like hey we need to take a little bit more intentional of an approach to our branding and how you know what we're showing to the world because the world's actually kind of taking notice which is very awesome uh, so we worked with a branding firm um out of boulder anthem they were really awesome we worked with them really closely for probably a solid eight months and uh yeah our you know main logo went through a little bit of a rebrand and we started getting uh, different design elements and assets and just started to like I said, you know, be a little bit more intentional about what we're doing. The fine-tuned beer is actually pretty funny um, because we adopted that right before we went into this hundred beers in a year thing, and so it's kind of the polar opposite of what we did in yeah. 2018. When you're, when you're doing hundred plus new beers, it's yes. hard to fine-tune anything except for juicy bits. Nothing's yeah. been given the chance to fine-tune. Um, but we do kind of still look at it as just a mark of quality because we pride ourselves on quality. It, you know, not every beer is 100% hit, but it's, you know. It's well executed. It, yeah, it's we, at least we, very well executed. We are not afraid to dump beer if it's bad. Yeah. We will not put bad beer out. How yes. often would you dump beer? Have you dumped beer? This year, I think we've only dumped one. That's good. Which is, you know, I think on total or the total number of beers we've dumped over the almost four years is a dozen. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple that first year when we were learning things and you'd have the glycol system just crap out on you for no good reason or, you know, the things that happen while you're brewing. Or it just didn't quite hit the mark. I mean, especially year one, that hurts to dump beer. When you have little money coming in and Mm -hmm. you're dumping $3,000 worth of, you know, just base product Mm -hmm. down the drain. Yeah. That hurts. Yeah. Definitely stood by it, though, and glad we did, especially that first year when everyone's, you know, developing an impression of who you are, and Mm -hmm. it seemed to have worked. People do kind of, you know, synonymously think quality, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, with what we do, and... 
hopefully fine-tuned beer is going to be like good 2019 slogan. Yeah. Well, you know, I honestly feel like it fits. Even with, even if you're brewing 100 different beers, that is almost a, that's, you know, your way to fine-tune. You're not picking styles and fine-tuning each individual beer, but as a general, as a general problem space, you're tuning your way through it by doing 100 beers. So, I don't know. I like that. Um, there we go. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, starting off those, those first dumping those first batches in that first year I think is like yeah it takes some gall to do it but it's pretty necessary because I've been oh, to absolutely. a few I, I go to new breweries whenever they open up and whenever I get the chance and you know in Seattle it's happening once a week and we uh, and, and there are breweries that I don't want to go to because you go there in your first couple oh, months it's, it's and awful if you, yeah you, you drink a beer that's just diacetyl yin yang right around the yin yang just absolutely the most buttery beer I've ever had I'm like this should be like an easy drinking pilsner right now and you clearly like this isn't like this is more than should be in this and it's not very good and usually those breweries i'll give another six months and try it again but i don't always get around to it so it's a um it's important to kind of keep tiered you know keep that standard we're we're all beer nerds at heart we all love beer we all drink beer we all drink a lot of beer that's not ours so we are always trying to make as good or better the beer than what's out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's our goal. We want everybody to be happy and come back. Yeah. We don't want you to walk into the tap room and go, ooh, that's, that's like a buttered popcorn corn bomb, you know? Oh. Oh. Yeah. Those so. make me kind of annoyed. Have you guys ever drank, um, this is a, a, a regional Seattle beer, but it's uh, it's called Mac and Jack. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big, it's, I think it's the biggest brewery in Washington. So so. Say if it's out of Washington, I drink Olympia. Uh, there yeah, you go. Actually, <laughs> it's in the water. It is in the water. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a near guy, but whatever. They're both. Yeah. I think they're, they're both brewed by PBR too. now, so they're they are both brewed by PBR. So, um, anyway, they brew a beer that's deliberately like buttery. Deliberately has a lot of this diacetyl. It's an uh, the Af- African amber is the style they say that it is, and it's. Uh, and I, I don't like it, but it's super popular up there. Everyone drinks it, so I don't know. Huh. Uh, yeah, five years ago, it was the only. It was that and Georgetown Brew, the only beers you could ever find at any bar. And now, five years later, there's a billion breweries, and everything's changed. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. We were talking about dumping those first couple of beers. Oh, we, I, had a, I had a question from earlier. We were talking about the barrel program, how that was always part of the original plan. But, it, but if you barrel age a beer for a year... Then what were you selling that first year? I mean, were you... Ah, the first four. Four, yeah. We opened up uh, with four beers on tap. A uh, coffee stout, a red ale, a Hefeweizen, and a West Coast style IPA. The Hefeweizen has made it through. It's the only one left. It's the only one left. No coffee stout, no... We uh, do coffee beers, but not that one. Mm -hmm. Very, very, very different now. Very different, yeah. yeah. That one was much more of a classic... A little bit bitter American, 6% stout with coffee added to it. And we've gone off the pastry deep end, so. Yeah, yeah, big time. The, past- the pastry deep end? <laughs> yeah, the pa- pastry stouts, pastry stouts. Pastry stouts. Go one on. Of, kind of one of our things. So dessert stouts, stouts that are styled after desserts, basically. We've done German chocolate cake, pecan pie. Oh, what else? Um, like so many Mexican hot even. chocolate. Chocolate chip cookie dough, mm. red velvet cake, red velvet cake, nutty nutty bars, mm. lot of things with peanut butter, peanut butter cups, chocolate, mm. yeah, coconut, yeah, 
For those beers, do you actually sometimes add the pastries in order to get the flavor? Uh, peanut, you, are you dumping Reese's peanut butter cups? Oh, yeah. So we, we actually have a beer coming out that used a significant amount of Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> and by significant, I mean 120 pounds. Jesus. How many, <laughs> how many packets is that? How, how many cups? So we buy it bulk because uh-huh. uh, peeling those, we have to peel for we do Nutty Bar Stout, and those is, do not come in bulk. So mm-hmm. that's an hour and a half out of my day that... It's awful. <laughs> just spent peeling, peeling fifty pounds of nutty bars, which you're like, oh, it's not that many, but they only weigh point or is like one point three ounces per package. <laughs> so fifty pounds is a lot. <laughs> but we we try to use whatever we're making, mm-hmm. or at least the components of it. Right. So we're not going to throw a German chocolate cake in the fermenter because that's got to come out at some point. Yeah, that's true. You don't want to be dredging a <laughs> soaking cake out with a, with a ladle. <laughs> yeah. uh, in terms of like those kind of gimmicky beers, not to put that lightly what you guys are brewing, but like they're a little gimmicky. Sure. Um, so you wouldn't consider yourself beer purist by any means. Uh, none of that um, Ryan Heitzkabot shit or anything. Ryan Heitzkabot is a fallacy. That's it is, all I'd yeah, like to it's, say. That is true. I will... Yes. Um, we make everything. So mm-hmm. we've made from a clean Pilsner to the most non-Reinheitsgebot beer where we've added peanut butter, peanut flour, chocolate, lactose. You know, we, we brew the gamut. Mm-hmm. We're not afraid to try something and uh, we're not afraid to, afraid to fail with those. So, you know, we got on the Brute IPA train and... Yeah. Did not do well for us. Mm. Colorado is not a brute IPA state. I was in uh, Minneapolis, and they everyone was brewing brute IPAs. They just all had them. And I, I had actually never even noticed them in Seattle. They hadn't started brewing them yet. And then all of a sudden, they were everywhere in Minneapolis, and I came back from my trip, and in the week I was gone, everyone had figured out brute IPAs, <laughs> and so now all of a sudden they're popping up everywhere in Seattle. I'm just like, we'll, the- we'll see if it sticks. I mean, it's a fun yeah. style, but... Yeah. Let me, oh yeah. So speaking of those trendy beer styles, you I just finished off a delicious hazy IPA, and uh, um, and you guys say you brew a lot of those. So have you been up? Have you been doing that for a while? Like that to me has been a trendy beer for two years, right? Like uh, so we've been brewing it since I think January, maybe February of 2016 was our first batch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was Juicy Bits. I think we were the second or third brewery in Colorado to brew them. Yeah, I think Cerebral Cere- and Odd 13. And then maybe Fiction. Fiction. Yeah, so they were. So those, those four breweries with us are kind of the first, all within a couple of months of each other, mm-hmm. brewing hazy IPAs. Yeah. What's the trick to make it a good one? Water. Oh, yeah? Water. Go on. Uh, chloride. Everybody, and picking the right yeast, um, getting the right amount of chloride for that mouthfeel. Mouthfeel is the key thing, I think, to a good New England IPA. You want it pillow soft. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that's yeast. You want an expressive English yeast that's low flocculating to contribute to the haze. Um, a lot of people think it's high protein malts. Uh, we've actually made a really hazy beer with no high protein malts. It was all base malt, 100%. And Odd 13 down in Lafayette is all their hazy IPAs. No oats, no wheat, maybe some oats, but definitely no wheat. So, I mean, that helps contribute, but I think water and yeast are your biggest ones. Hmm. Because we've made it with, you know, the classic C's hops, Cascade, Chinook, Centennial, to all the fancy, fun ones everybody's trying to get, the Mosaic, Citra, and Nelson, and all those fun, expensive hops. So, mm-hmm. But 
consistently, I think it's our water profile that sets us apart. We know our water, we know what we're adding to our water, and we've got it dialed in. You have a um, finely tuned, you oh, there you go. <laughs> that uh, one is. Yeah. yeah. Juicy Bits, I think we're brewing this week batch 135. Wow. So you sell a lot of that. That's well, probably 30% of what we sell, I'd say. Yeah, that's about right. I'd say yeah. so. Um, is there any other, so that you said that was, this is basically your flag, if you were to have a flagship beer, quote, bigger quotes. Right. Yeah. Uh, oh, hands down. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. We try to avoid that term, but that, yeah, but yeah right. that's what that everyone shot, yeah. knows us for far okay. and wide is juicy bits for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. So a 30%, if that's 30% of your sales, then it's not like that's, that's not the flagship flagship beer that a lot of breweries might, a lot of breweries I talk to might have a flagship IPA that is 60 or 70% of their sales. That's just how it is. I don't know if it's the same way down here. Maybe you can tell me. In Seattle, everyone brews IPAs. They brew all, and everyone's best-selling beers are IPA. There's one brewery in town that refuses to brew an IPA, but they still have to brew a dry-hopped pale uh, <laughs> in order to actually get sales. Oh, definitely. IPAs are king everywhere. Yeah. So Colorado, everybody has an IPA, except for maybe Purpose. and There's mm-hmm. a couple of lager places that strictly mm-hmm. do lagers. Oh, right. Yeah, you can get away yeah. with that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, and a couple of sour producers, but mm-hmm. generally everybody's brewing an IPA of some sort. And right now in Colorado, hazy IPAs are king. Mm-hmm. So those that said they weren't brewing them two years ago are brewing them. So <laughs> as, as it goes. Mm-hmm. We, um, I, I don't know if this is actually true, but I like to joke in Seattle, like we, you know, West Coast, we don't call them like North, like Northeast or New England IPAs. We call them hazy IPAs because we don't want to we don't want to give up any of our like IPAs are from the west coast you guys are making some of uh, like aberrant fake thing it's definitely not from the east coast it's just hazy IPA <laughs> um yeah anyway sorry oh, no, yeah. <laughs> we, we throw all terms around we don't really stick yeah. to one New England northeast hazy well and especially now that it's you know it's a classified yeah category that's true right. it's on the list isn't it is yeah hazy juicy ipa i think is what they it's just hazy or is i it don't hazy? even remember yeah. hazy juicy ipa i don't yeah. remember what they stuck with but. yeah yeah you guys are right around the right around the corner from the big course facility do you um and and budweiser oh right well budweiser's got a facility in every like in every corner yeah. right but there's a big one yeah it's just one. down the road yep um what's that like do you do you do you encounter people you got to educate on craft beer or do you you know find these light train people <laughs> uh, uh yes, yes. <laughs> um, definitely vegan greeley specifically mm-hmm. um when we first opened up everyone it's funny everyone was like don't even bother brewing an ipa <laughs> like, that, no, that was no ex- literally <laughs> the advice <laughs> yeah yeah and we still get the person that comes in you know they're significant other or somebody in their family brought them like oh you gotta come check out this brewery and they're like what do you have that's most like bud light yes we get most that like a lot. coors light yeah i mean it's fun i think it's yeah. one of our, so, our tap room staff's favorite thing is getting to mm-hmm. educate people i mean craft beer is it's definitely a part of Greeley now but even as little as four years ago when we opened it, it wasn't much of a scene i mm-hmm. mean it still isn't comparatively yeah, we had two breweries and yeah not a lot of people went to either one yeah i mean we still get tons of people coming in saying yeah what's a do you have budweiser b what's the closest thing to budweiser <laughs> what uh, wines do you have uh, yes. that's always my favorite yes yeah. are you guys allowed to have guest taps here or uh i know in seattle it's pretty common to have a cider on guest tap 
We do not have a license for just yeah. Okay. Stuff. It's a different license in Colorado. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. In Seattle, it's, it's baked in. There's like the brew pub license lets you have a full bar, mm-hmm. and then the uh, um, the tap room license even lets you have up to 25 percent guest taps. Oh wow. Never seen anyone have wine on a guest tap. That might be possible. Might not be allowed. But cider <laughs> is definitely always there because we have a lot of plenty gluten free folk up there. We have our fair share yeah, here. We yeah. get that for sure. We do. We've tried gluten reduced beers. Reduced. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can't say gluten free unless it's in a gluten free facility. Interesting. And we are not yeah. in any way. <laughs> <laughs> for those gluten reduced beers, are those gluten reduced enough for celiacs to drink, or are you going to pretend? Um, we've that? never had it officially tested, but based upon everything we've read and knowing the enzymes we use to reduce, mm. I would, I'd like to say yes, but I mean, yeah. it, it depends. Okay. I mean, it was definitely below the 10 parts per million threshold that makes it gluten-free mm-hmm. by FDA standards. Right. But every person with celiac is a little bit different, so. Right. Did you brew that for celiacs in mind or just to hop on a gluten-free trend? I think it was just to try it out, honestly, the first yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Does it change, how, how does it change the flavor of the beer? We didn't really notice a significant change at all. We've mm-hmm. done a couple others since then. Um, yeah, the only thing it's really doing is uh, breaking up you know, the gluconase. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Which doesn't add a lot of mouthfeel or body or anything to the hmm. beer. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of a couple of breweries that do, like uh, Ghostfish in Seattle brews all gluten-free beer, uh, and they're they're a gluten-free facility and everything. Uh, but then other breweries try to, you do they, do they do the same thing with the enzymes, and I'm still trying to figure out if they can get away with that, like if that's good enough. If you and, call it gluten-reduced, yeah. then yeah. But you can't call it gluten-free. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the big breweries, Coors and Budweiser and stuff. One of the, my favorite questions to ask is like, you know, how do you sort of view Budweiser in terms of like just your industry and competing with you? And, you know, it's good to get people ranting about it. I can see you getting ready. It's, it's how PC do we want to be, I suppose. I mean, well, you're not, try- you're not trying to make any friends with Budweiser, right? So dive on no. it, huh? I'll let you start. No, you start. Okay. Well, um, I didn't used to be super anti Anheuser-Busch in Bev, um, and then they canceled our hop contract. Mm. We had South African hops contracted through a local um, hop broker here in Fort Collins, who actually does most of the South African hops, I believe, in the nation, at least for craft brewery. Mm. And uh, we had, it wasn't a significant amount of hops. I think we had under a thousand pounds contracted. And we just got an email one day that said, nope. Hmm. ABI bought out SAB Miller, and now well, SAB owns, South African Brewing owns all the hops in South Africa, all the rights to the hops. So now Anheuser-Busch owns them, and they were just gone. They canceled everybody's contract in the you know, entire craft world. And now you can get them again, but it's, do you want to get in bed with ABI? Mm-hmm. And it, it feels like an attack on our way of life, I suppose. They definitely don't like us. Their ads show that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There was a really funny Super Bowl ad a couple of years ago that I, I still remember because I like re- really rolled my eyes at it. It was, uh, you know, beer brewed the hard way, and they had, um, we don't make any of that sissy wheat barrel-aged wheat beer or barrel-aged apricot, something, something. They made some, and they, and they made this insane dig on a, a fairly specific weird style. Like it a, was a pumpkin a, peach ale. That might have been it, yeah. And, um, and at the time... Elysian Brewery, which they own, 
was brewing a pumpkin peach ale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Elysian. Yeah. Yeah, they brewed a pumpkin peach ale and then ABI bought them out, which we all thought was really funny. <laughs> and they, they were just uh, <laughs> just devastated by that joke. <laughs> the poor brewers who had, you know, sort of, who were trying to live with their own, uh, with what has happened to them, right? A proud craft brewery now turned Budweiser. You know, they brewed the corporate beer, corporate beer sucks like IPA or whatever that was, and mm-hmm. now they're a corporate beer, so they're a little... <laughs> and, then they, and then Budweiser releases a special ad basically attacking that brewery specifically, and anyway, basically the entire city of Seattle is pretty buttered about the uh, Allegiant buyout. Yeah. Um, does that kind of stuff happen? I mean, like, do you guys, anyone around here getting bought out? Are you worried about that? Or You guys are getting growing pretty fast. You're getting to that size, maybe, to the, <laughs> you know... Maybe. I don't see anyone come knocking on our door anytime soon. Yeah, we haven't heard do. of anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, in Colorado, in, uh, Avery just sold part, part of their of, stuff off yeah. to San Miguel. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's some other ones that are speculated around Colorado, but nothing's ever been substantiated. So yeah, you never know. It feels like the buy-off craze is slowed down, mm-hmm. but that could change tomorrow. So yeah. yeah. I think they mostly finished their plan. Their, their plan was kind of to buy a regional brewery in every region. That way you can have anyone visiting from out of town might go, oh, Elysian, I remember them. They're from my hometown. And you buy that and not realize you're buying Budweiser. It was brewed in Fort Collins, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. Although I guess they don't really even do that too much anymore because they take all their popular beers and then they brew them at one of the giant facilities. Yep. And th- at that point, they bear no resemblance to the beer they, they were. There's a brewery in Seattle called Cloudburst. It's oh, yeah. spun off. Cloudburst. Yep, they, yep. They, oh, the pr- previous brewers from Elysian went and opened this brewery. And they brew every now and then. They'll brew the original space dust, you know, but call it something different. They'll pun on the name. They'll be all like, yeah, this is a, uh, this is the, the, the galaxy powder. And then they release this thing and it's supposed to taste like the original space dust did. And you can get to, you can have it both side by side and realize what Budweiser's done after, you know, assuring everyone that no one's going to change the way these beers are made and blah, 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 blah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's some rough stuff. Yeah. I guess speaking of, you know, big regional breweries and stuff, you guys are really growing. You're, you're getting, bigger than you ever expected it sounds like what are the plans from for here on out so you've got this giant lot you've got a ton of space you've got people buying your beer everywhere uh yeah where are you distributing what are you going to do to grow what's next what are the next steps um right now we're totally colorado bound we only distribute within like a 100 mile radius of us we just broke into colorado springs uh last week actually and even then it's kind of a, a bit of a trial um you know test run uh, yeah, we go as far west as roughly Boulder, but we'll start to do some more drops along 70, Estes Park, you know, just kind of slowly feeling out these other areas, but that's pretty much it for us. I mean, we don't ever want to be the next New Belgium or anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, to us, the sweet spot is, you know, maybe around 10,000, 15,000 barrels per year. Uh, we're going to hit, what, six, six just, two? Just around, yeah, it, it fluctuates. Right around 6,000. Roughly 6, around 6,000, yeah, this, this year. year. Um, okay. Fingers crossed for maybe about 9,000 next year, but we're really intentional about our growth. We start doing a lot of out-of-state events and festivals, um, probably about 10 a year. And then, you know, we'll take a couple pallets with us, drop into the market. So we do, you know, we don't want to be, like, totally secluded and you can't get your hands on our beer. That's definitely mm-hmm. not We're not, not going to be Coors of the 70s. Right. <laughs> Got to come to Colorado to get it. I mean, that's always been kind of the goal, too. We have a lot of beers that we 
brew that are taproom only because you know we want people to come up to Greeley. You know mm. we want them to see our hometown and show it off. We're, we're proud of Greeley. We like yeah, it. Yeah, we Even like it here. Even though it smells like cows. It's yeah, it does. But you know, I'm sorry about that. I, oh no, hey, wait. oh no, you're far from the I've only been person here to mention it. Almost 22 <laughs> years, and from 22 years ago till now, it's actually it smells great. 22 <laughs> years ago, they it was not great. <laughs> You mentioned just now that you're very intentional about your growth. I want to know what that means. Like, I know that I know what it sounds like, but like, what's it really mean in terms of unintentional growth versus intentional growth? I mean, if we could turn around and flip a switch tomorrow and say, okay, we're going to brew an extra 2000 barrels for this year. Let's do it right now. And let's, Hey, Colorado Springs sounds great. Let's break into Colorado Springs. Everything we do is very process and procedure oriented, probably mm -hmm. to a fault at sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, we're really detailed and we just take everything very, very slowly. We consider we've, we've gone fast enough for the last three years that yeah. we're, we're taking a step back and going, what does this actually impact us? Mm -hmm. How does this impact us? How does this impact our customers? Mm -hmm. How does it stretch everybody? Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, are we going to kill everybody by doing another three or 4,000 barrels next year? Or is it doable? Right. Mm -hmm. It's very thought out by the director team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We've added a, um, a bunch of really awesome people to our staff, like the past 12 months or so. And uh, just having more intelligent minds around you know just being able to stop and yeah like nick was saying just you know let's look at the impact and what does this actually mean mm -hmm. in terms of quality of life for our staff and in right. terms of our consumer base and you know if we do distribute to colorado springs or if we do you know open up another hundred off-prem accounts are people going to stop coming up to greeley what does that impact mm -hmm. look like you know what do we need to do to get people to come up to greeley <laughs> okay so you're you're a little bit of not necessarily afraid, but you're concerned with over expanding and maybe getting a little like, yeah, expanding to what end? You know, like, yeah. like what's the point of continuing to expand if you're happy where you're at? Yeah, yeah. we don't believe in growth for growth's sake. Yeah, no, because then everybody gets burnt out and leaves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> We've been talking for a while. I want to do a quick. A quick little game. Can you list your three most influential breweries that you've, you've drank at or you like, and maybe don't include Wildworks, but uh, you know, <laughs> the, the, the three most important breweries to you ever? Whew, that is a good and tough question. I can definitely name one right off the bat, uh, Upland Brewing out of Bloomington, Indiana. Upland? Upland, yeah. Um, I went to college down there at IU, and that was my first. Their wheat and their dragonfly was just like... Oh, hey, this this isn't Coors Light. What's happening here? <laughs> I just have all the respect in the world for them and all the growth and everything that's going on with them in the past few years is just really, really awesome. Uh, I have to pause on one on two. That's a really big question. Okay. You brainstorm for a second. All right. I've got it. You got him? I've got it. Um, well, for Weldworks and the influence, I would have to say uh, Treehouse had a big impact on us. That first Treehouse beers led Neil and I down the Juicy Bits path. We had those and we're like, holy crap, how do we make something like this? Where's Treehouse? Uh, they are in Massachusetts. Okay. So they're known for Julius, Green. I mean, they were one of the first really big sought after New England IPA mm -hmm. breweries or hazy or however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other two for me are Hill Farmstead. Mm -hmm. I mean, that they can brew exceptional quality and no matter what style they do is aspiration for me as a brewer. And then... Um, I'm a, a goose and lambic head, so Canteon. 
Um, okay, keep those in your head for a second. What did, did you figure out your other two? Uh, not to piggyback, but yeah, Treehouse. I mean, it, that absolutely set a course for uh, Weldworks. And it's, I, I remember the first day where we were testing out our first batch and we had just our entire bar top lined. <laughs> <laughs> we had a lot of beer on the bar top. Yeah, it, it was. And, you know, there was Trillium and some other stuff too. But yeah, Treehouse was always kind of the, we don't want to recreate it, but this this is perfection. This mm. is what we want to do. Um, and also kind of a, a recent one, um, Burial. Oh, yeah. Burial. Burial. Where are they? Asheville. Asheville. They make great beer. They make great beer. And I actually had the privilege of going out there a couple of weeks ago to uh, brew a collab with them and then partake in their uh, festival that they held. Um, and it's, it's just a, it's a cool spot. They're cool people. Um, they're really, really similar to us and just kind of, slow growth and yeah we want to hit about this mark and no further we want to take really good care of our people we start share a lot of the same like values and ethos and um yeah their, their beer is phenomenal they just opened up or about to open up this um, six acre beautiful amazing production facility and restaurant and yeah they're just doing cool stuff over mm-hmm. there yeah i walked away i was like oh i want to be like them when i grow up <laughs> right on <laughs> Okay, keep those in mind. Go back to you in year three. So your three were uh, Cantillon, uh, Treehouse, and then what was the third? Hill Farmstead. Hill Farmstead. Have you played this game before? Marry, bang, kill. Ooh. I would marry Hill Farmstead because I could drink their beer every single day for the rest of my life and not have to look at other beer. Um, it's sad to say I'd kill Treehouse. <laughs> I've had a lot of their beer. It's all fantastic. And I would bang Cantillon. Yeah. <laughs> I'd bang them hard. <laughs> and it would not be pretty, but it would be worth it. <laughs> all right, you're up. Your three uh, were um, Treehouse as well. And what, Upland uh, and Burial. Upland and Burial. All right, Mary Bang Kill. Um, I'd probably marry Upland because we've just been together for so long now. <laughs> We were very comfortable together. <laughs> I would say kill Treehouse. Sorry, Treehouse. It's I over mean, two. They're, they're amazing. We'll just go and, and take their amazing spot. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. We could use uh, a 30-acre brewery. Yeah, yeah right? In, in that beautiful location? Sure. <laughs> Kill them and take their place. Okay, that's one I haven't heard before. That's a good one. No, I love them. They're, they're awesome. Um, and I guess that leaves Bang Burial, but I don't know why. Process of elimination. Uh, I gotta I say, say their, their branding is the sexiest I've ever seen, so there we go. I mean, when you have Tom Selleck and Sloth. Tom Selleck and Sloth. I mean, come on, that's a place you want to spend some time with. But not a lot of time. <laughs> Just enough. Uh, all right, guys, that does it. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, what do you say we go grab a beer? Sounds, Sounds great. Good. I gotta get one of those. Uh, I gotta get that barrel aged out. What was it called noche. again? Medio noche. Medio noche. Oh man. Thank you so much, Nick and Kristen. I did get around to drinking at Medio noche, and it was insanely good. If you are ever in Greeley, Colorado, or in Colorado in general, and want to go visit Fort Collins and Greeley, then I highly recommend visiting Weldworks. Can't wait to see you all again. Thanks for listening to Washington Beer Talk. If you like what you heard, then you can find other episodes of the podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. Don't forget to like, leave a review, and share with your friends. 